podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hey guys, welcome back to AI Pro Plus. I'm Nina Kauser. Um, yeah, there isn't much football going on right now. So obviously, you've, you you know the um, uh, the football cancellation, the standstill, um, and there's been a lot of talk about the implications that it would have on matchgoers, on local business, on people commuting, and just um, you know the feel good factor of watching Liverpool, or maybe not, given how they're playing. Um, we might get onto that on the podcast as well. But you know, as well as as well as the local side of things, um, I kind of want to focus on um the global aspect of things as well, and you know, um, how it affects supporter clubs and uh, fans across the world. And joining me on this podcast is the chairperson of LFC New York, a familiar voice on Anfield Index. It is. Mr. Justin Wells. Justin, you and I could be watching a football match, but here we are. How do I, you would, <laughs> I would right now probably be outside the front of the 11th Street Bar um, in the East Village of New York City, uh, smoking a cigarette and arguing with someone about who was responsible for Pedro Neto scoring the first goal for Wolves today. So, uh, you know, I, I would still probably rather be there watching the football today, but obviously um, it, it, an event of at least national significance to the UK and almost certainly global significance, considering that the, you know, the, the English empire once spanned large portions of the world is, uh, has occurred, including the part of the world that I live in, which was at one point a colony of the United Kingdom. There you go. So Justin, so I'm just um, uh, going to get it on record. You would prefer to be a, a goal down to um, uh, Wolves, um, Pedro Neto uh, getting the glory then, um, the Reds may be taking a time out after that turgid performance against Napoli and Jürgen Klopp saying he has to reinvent himself. I mean, I, I personally think like every, you know, like obviously we're going to talk about the implications of how it affects everyone, but just from those footballers' side and perspective of things and maybe just watching them as well. Like I've not enjoyed watching them, can't lie, but I think it's probably done them a bit of good to like... It pro- it, it, it. If we're looking at things in the cold light of day and objectively as objectively as possible, this is probably good for Liverpool to have a few extra days off, considering they just played a 
I don't even want to say they played a tough away match because they played an away match where they just looked completely and totally outmatched. But mm-hmm. it probably, you know, if, if you're going to look at it solely from the perspective of what this means to the football that Liverpool are playing, yes. not having to play at this exact moment is probably the best thing. That said, obviously, we're here to discuss other implications of it. And uh, mm. I, I, I think that some of the other implications of having a football standstill like this are less than desirable. Absolutely, absolutely. And let's get into that. So obviously, Justin, as as we all know, you know, you're a big part of LFC uh, New York. And I know you you guys get the band together and, you know, it's it's a big event. Um, you know, you have your, your game screened and stuff. So um, uh, how has this like game postponement affected like your weekend in terms of, you know, um, the maybe, um, you know, maybe talk us through what 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 your role is in terms of just before a game, like, you know, like maybe some personal rituals you have and also some responsibilities that you have to take on. So let's go into the responsibilities because I'm actually not a particularly superstitious person, so I don't have a ton of uh, uh, I don't have a ton of personal rituals. I just know you know what I will tend to do before a match is often you know get a cup of coffee and something to eat. But um, from from the perspective of the actual responsibility of running a supporters club, um, it, and one in you know in New York, which is a pretty large city with a, a large amount of Liverpool supporters. Mm-hmm. Is it's also a very international city. Um, we work with seven bars, so those bars are going to open for nearly every single of our ma- Liverpool match. Some of some of our bars that are in some of the less populated areas, like some of the suburbs, won't necessarily open for um, you know the the twelve thirty uh, UK seven thirty in the morning US kickoffs, which I, which is understandable because I don't think uh, bars in the suburbs are going to have a lot of people driving to go to them at seven in the morning to go watch a game that's going to end before nine thirty. But some of our, some of our bars do open up that early. And when they do, that's, that's additional hours that they can be open. They'll typically just open up and stay open throughout the day. So those are additional hours that they can stay open and bring in money, um, which is very important in particular uh, to places that were hammered by the pandemic. Um, we, Lest we forget that there were two years where, you know, a year and a half where bars and restaurants couldn't open in large portions of the world. And in that time, people lost a lot of money, lost a lot of their livelihoods and were pushed into far more precarious situations financially. So any opportunities you can make um, and when you're a bartender, very often that is, you know, work that it's in the at least in the U.S. heavily reliant upon tips Tips, and, uh, you know. That's a that's a big part of our it's a big part of how the wage structure works in the service industry of the U.S. Mm-hmm. is it's a low it's a low starting wage it's a low wage and you're making up your money in tips and when you take that you know when you have certain dependable hours that you know you you know two hours a week you know that you're going to be in a relatively packed bar working a Liverpool game where people are going to be you know getting drinks getting getting food tipping you on top of that. That loss of income is, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's an impact, right? And that's the first part. That, that's the, that's the thing that I, of the responsibilities that we have within LFCNY that I think is the one that's most glaring is the fact that we are now taking away realistically this week, two hours of, you know, two plus hours of additional tips and wages that a bar, that, you know, that our bartenders probably would think were coming and would rely on. And, it's not exactly as, as, you know, these games will be made up. They'll 
make that money back at some point. But And I think this also goes to speak to the stadium staff as well. They're going to make that money back at some point, but these, these games are going to occur. But we don't necessarily know the financial situation of every single person working there. We don't know how much money they have saved to, to endure what happens if a week's paycheck is cut in half exactly. or just lost, yeah. right? Yeah. Some people yeah. do live paycheck to paycheck. And yes. if you take away depend, you know, times at which they knew that they'd be making a wage, that could be really, really, really harmful and devastating. And that's, that's the part about this that uh, I think sits worst with me about the, about the cancellation is that, that you know, there is the potential for that kind of loss of income that people need to depend upon that uh, is, um, you know, it's a problem. Now, I, I've seen some clubs, like Manchester City, for instance, um, mm. did announce that they were going to cover the wages for people who did, uh, who were supposed to work today's game, which I think is the right thing to do. And as loath mm-hmm. as I am to compliment City because of some other things that I, I don't think we need to get into in this particular podcast, that is the right step. And, the, and that I would hope that other clubs do the same. Um, and in particular, I would like Liverpool Football Club to do the same because if our, you know, if our ethos is you'll never walk alone and we are, you know, proud of some of the forms of socialism, even though obviously the, the game of football and FSG are wildly capitalist at the point. If we're going to speak about those kinds of forms of socialism and uh, the, a term that I'm going to introduce, I'm going to use a bunch on this podcast, mutual aid, um, are to be taken seriously then I think you should cover the wages of the people who should have worked the Wolves game today. And if I've missed that we've announced that, I apologize, but applaud it. Absolutely, because it wasn't their choice to not come into work today. You know, circumstances sort of forced them to, you know, like you said, miss miss the payday. And look, nobody nobody has control over, over this. I mean, it's... We, we, the action that spurred this is the death of a, of a very old woman, right? Which was known to be happening and was going to happen at some point because nobody lives forever. But yeah, um, it's it's in it's in nobody has control over that. It's, none of the people working have control over that. They absolutely don't, and we can certainly certainly tell that Justin, you live in a really really bustling, busy city there with um all the all the background noise, adding you know a lot of um sense of actuality to um to the podcast. I mean, you you've touched on you know um you know how it affects sort of um the the bartending staff in 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 your Eleven Street bar, and you know that's like two hours work um you know the you know like the the service industry is really really heavily heavily reliant on tips and um yeah um it's 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 pretty um you know it is pretty intense um when you think about it like that um when and also i kind of want to get your thoughts on um you know from my understanding and you know please do correct me on this because obviously and the one thing i've kind of notice with these supports clubs is it's to kind of get people together and to kind of give them like a sense of community and maybe you know a way of like getting them out to kind of socialize meet other fellow reds and you know um have like that commonality between them and i think this is why i, lo- I love supporters clubs so much because it, it basically it kind of I've always thought that they've stopped people from watching games in isolation or being isolated at home 
to come out be a bit social kind of get like a match they experience to some degree like you know you know people in the UK if they can't go to a game they'll go to a pub to watch a game and to me it feels like you know sports clubs um across the globe kind of you know do the same kind of thing to kind of give that same experience I mean do you have a comment on maybe how um you know like from, from a social perspective you know if you know like how this is a big part of people's weekends I mean, it's the thing that I look forward to most every weekend is uh, trying to get a fourth or fifth person who actually knows every single lyric to Poor Scouts or Tommy to actually fully sing along in the, in the 11th Street or one of our other partner bars. But it, it is a huge part of our weekend. I mean, I, I, I work, you know, Monday to Fridays, and the time in which I want to be able to get away from home, uh, get some time away from my wife to be able to spend with some friends is the hours that I'm going to be watching a Liverpool match. And having that not in the weekend just makes it feel very empty, knowing that it's not going to be in this weekend, knowing that it might not be next weekend because of Chelsea. I won't be able to get there for the Ajax match if it goes ahead. And, and knowing then that basically I will have gone almost the entire month of September without going to the going to the bar and being able to watch a game is it feels like a big loss because that's uh you know that's a community that I work really hard to contribute to and there's mm-hmm. a lot of other people who work really hard to contribute to it and it's the type of thing where you know even though we're going to get together again at some point uh, you don't want to go you know you don't want to go too long without seeing your family right like you mm-hmm. you want that regular check-in and you want that regular ability to be with your friends be with your family and do the things that you love doing which in this case is just you know watching Liverpool play regardless of how we're playing because at the moment it's not exactly like the most pleasant thing to watch us play but I'm I'm, you know I'm one of those people who's not necessarily into this for the you know I'm only in it for winning I'm, I'm into this because I like you know the big the big aspect and the big reason I'm a Liverpool supporter is because of the fact that I'm into the social aspect of it and I'm into the community aspect of it and communities you know they survive disruption right and this is certainly disruption but it doesn't necessarily mean that disruption is good for them right and mm. I think that it's interfering with the ability of, you know with our ability to really get the season started and get the, you know, get a cadence of people coming into bars and watching matches. And that's been the thing that's been, you know, I think fairly, it's recovered a bit, but again, we're still coming off a situation where people really couldn't gather for two years. And it's, things are just starting to, I guess, you know, trickle back to normal in, uh, I, and I'd readily imagine because I've been to the UK in the last year, it, things are starting to come back to normal within the US and the UK. But they're not, but they're not fully there. And disruptions are what make it not get fully there. And I think that we all probably just really could have used the, uh, the football this weekend because, you know, we all really could have needed it. Now, I'll, I'll tell you who probably doesn't need it is, uh, you know, Liverpool Football Club. But in the end, um, there's, there are more things to consider sometimes than just how well the Reds are playing at this exact moment. I get that. I get that. And I think why um, you've seen a lot of um, outrage on, on social media when the news was announced um, Friday morning about, you know, um, the games being uh, postponed um, because of of the Queen's passing. Um, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, 
because a lot of social and sport events are still going ahead like it was up to the FA's dis- discretion what, what they wanted to do it wasn't like they absolutely have to cancel the games and I think that's why a lot of people were really really annoyed at the news because the cricket's going ahead I don't expect you to know that you know the only thing that's affected you in, in your daily lives like none of your sporting events have been cancelled obviously they won't be but obviously football which obviously is uh, you know, is happening here right now. That's what's affecting you. But in here, I think a lot of the fans are really, really annoyed at the fact that everything else is, you know, carrying us. But most things are carrying on as normal. But the the FA, you know, decided to kind of um, I don't know, um, you know, decide that they want to be respectful and uh, cancel the football, which obviously has annoyed them. You know, a a lot of supporters from a lot of clubs, not just just Liverpool and. Justin, you um, touched on something and you spoke about Man City and um, obviously there's been a lot of um, social media tweets about, you know, what football clubs are doing with, um, you know, um, the food and the pre-made food. And I think Liverpool are also donating to local organisations and charities. And um, you spoke about Man City there. I believe, I believe Crystal Palace are also doing the same thing as well. You know, so clubs are, you know, being mindful of that. And you and I have spoken a fair bit on on the podcast, and um, a lot of our listeners know about your role within LFC New York. Um, so um, I want to kind of ask you as well, like, um, how does like, you know, like, and I know you do a lot of work with, um, you know, um, your community, and you know, you do every little that you can to help, like the food banks and the, and you know, those people who are, you know, perhaps less privileged than you know us um you know and I want to get your thoughts on how you know like we we speak about it from uh, you know like the small bubble of um how it affects you know people within specific cities um and and the football that's played there but I want to get your stance on on the global side of things because if you guys are doing this outreach work I'm assuming a lot of other Liverpool supporter clubs also do this kind of outreach and helping and serve their community like this. And not just Liverpool supporter clubs, I'm guessing a lot of football clubs, sports clubs do this kind of work as well and the domino effect of it. So I want to get your thoughts on that. So it's it's a really good point, right? So LFCNY, if anybody who's ever been to New York has actually been to the 11th Street Bar, right, which is the, you know, one, one of our seven bars, but is our main bar. Um, across the street is a ministry called the Father's Heart Ministry, which is a food which operates food banks and hunger prevention services that feed around 700 families every single week. So if you've been to 11th Street, you've seen on a Saturday morning a long line of people. They're there to access and get food, right? And um, what it, you know, how food banks work is that they're all basically reliant upon donations from, from, from mm-hmm. private people because. Yeah. If the government could adequately take care of hunger, you wouldn't have a necessity for this additional service. So these, you know, food banks exist. Be, like the perfect in a in the world that we want to live in, food banks shouldn't need to exist, right? We, I yep. think we can all acknowledge mm-hmm. that. Yep. But we so LFCMY does two canned food drives a week, uh, a month, not a week. We do two canned food drives. Sorry, two canned food drives a season. And the reason is we tried actually doing every single week to mirror what fan supporting food banks is doing, but it um, we just didn't find that it was giving us the amount of traction to get the maximum amount of food we could to provide the greatest impact. And fan supporting food banks at, around Anfield and Goodison, and they've spread to a lot of other stadiums in the country, but 
you know, from my experience, I know about the fact, you know, I, know, I know the most about what it does outside Goodison and Anfield because I've been in touch with the people who run that, you know, who run the charity outside Goodison and Anfield. That's 50,000 to maybe 100,000 people a week between the two stadiums when there is a home game that are able to, and, you know, you're not going to get every single person giving, but that's 100,000 potential people who can give food every single week. And the loss of that is pretty seismic because if one, you know, if you have 50,000 people just bringing two tins of tuna fish, right. You know, just using that as an example, because it's a non-perishable high protein food mm-hmm. and just dropping two tins into a food bank collection site outside a stadium. If you have 50,000 people doing that, you could feed a lot of people. And mm-hmm. the fact that that happens every single week for, you know, 50 odd Liverpool games that Liverpool is playing a season third, you know, 40 odd games that Everton's playing a season, you can do a lot of good. The mm-hmm. loss of potentially, you know, two, three, four games can have a serious detrimental impact on the amount of food you're able to collect and how and, and how well you're able, you know, to have these services operate. Now, hopefully some of that is offset by Liverpool rightly donating the, the match day food that they would have had to fan supporting food banks and local charities. But there's also the possibility that it's not that it's not enough. And, you know, I, I think that there's. Um, you know, without trying to make a too political a statement, I do think that there's a small bit of um, it, it, a heightened contradiction that you can point out when you have a royal family's monarch being buried and celebrated and everything needs to shut down for a royal family that's got $100 million in tax benefits every single year, or £100 million in tax benefits every single year, but the people who probably need the service, some of the services that might be shut down to honor that family are the ones who are sitting the furthest below the poverty line. And I think that, you know, when we're thinking about national symbols, we should also think about not just the symbols of, you know, our national pride, but we should also think about the things within our countries that yes. we, we would like to see fixed. And for, for me, living in a place like the U.S., which is one of the richest countries to ever exist, um, seeing seeing that, you know, we have food insecurity distinctly bothers me because that's just something that shouldn't be happening at, at, a, mm-hmm. at, a, at a country this wealthy. So seeing that and seeing that, you know, that's the type of activity that does suffer from being the shutdown of football, I think it really does hype show like what football communities are there for and that sometimes there are significantly bigger things than the game. And that people really should consider that when they think about what happens when you shut down a football game. Because we've covered the wages, right? We know that people working at the match lose out on those wages unless somebody does something else to help them. And also people who rely upon certain charitable endeavors that occur at football matches also losing out on those. And I I think that that's just something that we should weigh and we should think about when we're talking about things like canceling football games, because the game itself might seem silly, but the things that occur around the game from a community perspective mm-hmm. and from a mm-hmm. charitable perspective can be relatively, can be, can be pretty huge and can also really um, shed light on what, you know, why, why we, why we commune as football supporters sometimes. It's not just to watch our teams win or to uh, sing silly songs at the teams that we're beating. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad you kind of spoke about the domino effect there as well. And, you know, whilst we sat here and we're praising, you know, these um, 
these football teams for, you know, obviously not being wasteful and, you know, donating their food to, you know, local food banks and, um, you know, local charities. It still is quite sad that they're having to do that. I mean, like, food banks have just become so, so rife in, like, the 10, I'd say in, in, in like, the last 10 years here, like, where it's just become a common thing. It was something that I've probably never heard of before. It wasn't that much of a, maybe I was young, innocent, ignorant, naive, but they just seem to be popping up everywhere. You know, supermarkets have a big, you know, drop-off point where you can donate food, you know, something that you would never have seen in like 15 15 years ago. You would never see that. I want to get your thoughts on this. So again, you know, um, I'd like to get your thoughts on, well, I'd like to get um, some insight from you with regards to when, you know, when did you start working with food banks, you know, LFC New York and stuff? Like, when did it become a big, you know, like where you kind of realise that, hang on a minute, this is a big thing and we sh- we need to be in service of, of of people who are, you know, less, you know, less, you know, less fortunate. So um, the actual history of that with LCNY predates my involvement with the committee, but I, I actually do know it because... Um, one of the former uh, vice presidents of uh, LLCMY, um, his name's Connor Brennan, who I actually still speak to to this day and is a very, very good man. Um, he would, you know, he one day just consistently going down to 11th Street to watch matches, saw the line, the, saw the line outside the um, the ministry that's across the street that's doing the food services and basically just figured, it's, look, we um, exist in this community, so we should probably try to do something for it. So that's how that started. And We've been working with the, you know, the Father's Heart, Father's Hearts Ministry um, in the East Village for now about the past 13 or 14 years, as far as working with their hunger prevention services. Um, what we've actually done, those, we've expanded a bit as well, and also had, um, you know, we'll bring in other supporters clubs from other teams to help raise either funds or canned food when, you know, during certain matches. So, for instance, lately when we've been, um, we didn't do this last week because. 7.30 kickoffs become very hard to do this, but when we've been playing against Everton, we've been working with the New York City Evertonians to um, to help to help have them help us with fundraising and help, help us with um, raising food, um, you know, raising canned food and bringing canned food to mm-hmm. various bars because in the end, you know, obviously you're, we're thousands of miles away from the UK, but if you look at fan-supporting food banks, fan-supporting food banks, which is an organization that I think does in tremendous work. It's actually run by a red and a blue, right? The tribalism that's involved with the game can sometimes be very poisonous, but I think what we do need to realize is that we all inhabit the same earth, and many of us, you know, it, 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 at some points we should realize that it's rooting for different pieces of laundry doesn't necessarily make you their enemy. Right. Mm-hmm. You still share the same common humanity. And if you look in a city like Liverpool, Everton and, you know, Goodison and Anfield aren't in the most, you know, they're, they're both very close to each other. and They're yeah. not in the most particularly well to do areas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people who are going to football matches can and, and uh, you know, you know, tend to sometimes have a little bit of disposable income because if you can afford a football ticket, you typically can afford to buy a can of food mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, that that's the philosophy we're taking and it's just if you're able to come to a bar and buy a beer during a game you can buy a you can buy a tin of food to drop in a in a basket Mm -hmm. and we've 
expanded, you know, expanding to work with other clubs, I think is really useful because it does build a larger football community within your city. And that football mm-hmm. community doesn't necessarily need to be one where it's tribal by colors, right? So we've, uh, you know, working with the Evertonians, we've worked with some, you know, unofficial Liverpool supporters clubs as well. And they brought other, you know, there, there's an unofficial Liverpool supporters club in Brooklyn who I, I happen to know, right? Um, some of them are members of the Brooklyn Club and are members of LFCNY. And we brought them into the fold last year because, you know, they operate out of a bar that we work with. And they were able to to um, raise funds and raise canned food for yet another food bank in Brooklyn. And I think that the wider the net you cast towards helping people, yeah, the more you'll actually be able to help people because if you only focus and it's and this actually let me take a step back to talk about something else official liverpool supporters clubs one of the things that we should all be doing and i and i'm engaged in that network quite a bit because i do also work with the global rep group that's there to help represent each of the different regions and operate as a, a governing group that feeds the lfc supporters board but one of the things that we're really keen on is ensuring that Liverpool supporters clubs actually engage within their communities. It's fine to have a club mm-hmm. to get together and have drinks to watch football, but in reality, that's not what the ethos of you'll never walk alone in Liverpool football club are about. They're mm-hmm. about so much more. And if you want to, you know, if you want to best represent what the ethos of this club is in your own community, it's going to mean more than just getting together and watching games. It's going to mean actually getting, you know, trying to do things to help out the area in which you live in. And I, so there's some other examples that don't necessarily have to be food drives that help. Like for instance, um, one of the supporters clubs in the state of Florida, LFC, Fort Lauderdale, um, one of the older supporters clubs, one of the things they do is beach cleanups. Why? Because you should try to, you know, you should care about where you live and cleaning up the environment, cleaning up beaches during a time where, you know, Climate change is kind of ravaging the, uh, the, 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 you know, what the shape and view of uh, beaches in Florida look like. That's a good thing to do. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of supporters clubs that do a lot of good. And I think that you know, the engagement with the community is one of the primary things that a supporters club can offer and do. And I also will say that Liverpool Football Club themselves are extremely supportive of doing these kinds of things, right? They are actually, they want supporters clubs to spread Liverpool's good name and ethos by actually doing community works. So, you know, globally, you know, coming back to what we're talking about, having two weeks where supporters clubs don't necessarily meet and get together does take some of the sting and some of the momentum that a lot of clubs have towards starting to be able to progress some of the things they want to do that season to help their communities. No, I hear you. And I think what it all kind of comes down to as well is uh, what are your personal beliefs and values? And, you know, um, and I think, you know, like you touched on, you know, the the food bank initiative started off by, you know, um, a a red and an Evertonian. You know, you put your colours aside. We have the same core beliefs and values in terms of, you know, our, our community and our people need help. And we we work together to do that. And I love the fact that it's just had a massive domino effect. And, you know, you just, you know, like that that Florida example that you gave me, you know, like never knew that. Do you know what I mean? But much needed. 
Absolutely. And it's one of those things where I don't think that the reason to – like, I think that there's – it's kind of two things that exist in tension, right? I do think that clubs should and, – and people doing charitable works in particular within this, you know, global Liverpool supporting sphere should advertise them because it's good to have people see – other people doing good things and you want to make sure that people know what you're about and it inspires people as well by the way it has a domino effect of like hang on if they can do it i can do it yeah absolutely but at the same time the reason you do those things isn't to seek attention for yourself so Hmm. um it's 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 a fine line but i think ultimately uh you know if, if you can do some if you can do some good and you can do some good around football then you should and uh, I think that that actually is the type of thing that gets, you know, our good, you know, our good name as Liverpool supporters out there. And, you know, there and, and we should try to do that because there are always going to be people who are going to try to sit there and impugn Liverpool support. A lot of that comes from, you know, the, the historical, you know, the, the recent historical view of the city of Liverpool and its residents in the greater scheme of the UK and particularly just a lot of how people view people from the Northwest in, uh, mm. in, in the South of England and mm. how that's, you know, how, how the media is captured and portrayed. That is something that uh, I find to be both very much untrue and something that I think that uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant against. I'm just smiling. Yeah. Um, Justin, uh, it looks highly likely that, the next weekend games might be off as well. Uh, given, um, you know, there'll, there'll be a funeral and um, a bank holiday has been announced. So, I mean, again, how will you try getting around that? I mean, that's like a month without football for you guys, in, in you know, because obviously the international break's coming as well. So, I mean, how... I mean, will you be maybe better prepared, better planned to maybe, I don't know, will you be doing some outreach work? Will you, will you be getting the get-together? I don't know. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, how you so, feel about that and what. I, I don't feel, I don't feel great about it because I don't know when they're going to reschedule that match. And, mm. um, you know, as far as going back to the, to where are, you know, to thinking about the bartenders who work our matches that's an 1130 Sunday kickoff for us and it's getting and that's a, that's the type of game where we fill up pretty quickly in yeah. all of our partner bars mm-hmm. and obviously everybody can figure this out the fuller the bar the more money the bartenders make and it's not exactly um, great if that match is going to get rescheduled probably to some weekday slot because which I imagine it's where it's going to end up going because that's then going to be a more depressed turnout because you know, the nature of office workers in New York now is, which is, you know, not all, you know, which is not all of who belongs to LFCNY, but it's not an insignificant, but, but it's a rather statistically significant portion. And people who work in offices are going to do one of two things that day. They're going to, or realistically, most of them are going to do one thing that day, which is work from home and watch that game at home on TV on a Tuesday. Because... You don't want to necessarily lose the productivity hours. And that then results in, you know, a depressed turnout, results in less money for the bartenders, who are the people who, you know, are, are working during these matches and, you know, they need they need the money. So that's the part about it that bothers me. Um, 
I personally probably wouldn't have gotten to watch the match anyway uh, because of the fact that I probably, or if I did, I probably would have been watching it at um, my wife's cousin's house someplace in, outside of uh, suburban Boston because I do have to go visit some family next weekend uh, because we do have uh, you know family visiting from out of the country. But, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, for me, it's really just the domino effect of taking away two weeks of uh, increased wages or wages that I think our bartenders would have relied upon at a, at a you know, and, and it's, that's the part that stings for me immediately. It's, you know, cause these are people who are working and they're working hard and they're working hard to do a service that the supporters club that I operate really appreciates. So it just kind of, it, it just kind of, uh, Stinks, and I'd imagine that you know we're we're one example of this. But I know that if you go throughout the U.S., there are you know there are large amounts of bars who do big soccer business, and they do you know we're talking across all clubs, not just Liverpool. And you know that's a that's a sizable chunk of some you know some income that a you know a lot of people are going to be missing out on, and I'm not really uh, and, I, and I feel for that. Yeah, and if it's affecting your sports club, you know, again, the domino effect of it, you know, affecting many other sports clubs, not just in, in the US, but, you know, on, on a global scale as well. Um, Justin, is there anything else that you feel like, you know, we've not kind of discussed it that kind of needs highlighting, you know, um, any any takeaways, any anything you want to share? No, I think that if we, uh, you know, I think if I go down any other paths on this, I will start to reveal some of my personal politics around this scenario, and I'd rather not do that. <laughs> let's not. And um, with regards to, uh, let's just keep it a bit Liverpool-based. Okay, so, of course, it was dreadful on Wednesday night. It was horrendous. Um, Jurgen Klopp, very candid in his post-match interview, he actually looked like a man bamboozled. Like I felt like everything that he said kind of felt quite genuine and authentic in um, in in his uh, post-match comments. Um, reinventing themselves, then um, let's hope that happens, eh? Yeah, go to a double pivot. That's that 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 would be a uh, a reinvention that I would welcome. Um, I said this last week on your show, but it looks like we've been attacking lately without a platform. And when you attack without a platform, uh, everything does fall through, right? The, you know, what, what is a platform? It's a thing you stand on. What happens if you're not standing on something? You're not standing on anything and you fall down. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we've been lately, right? Our attack has no platform to build from. So we're not able to take teams out of their shape in midfield. And we end up, uh, you know, creating a lot of, we end up creating a lot of chances, but a lot of them are poor, poor chances and low percentage shots. So um, when you actually think about this, right, there's been a lot of people talking about how we've won the XG in every single game we've played so far up until Napoli, where we got pounded on the XG. But our XG has been mostly accumulation. People give us the ball. They sit back and they just let us shoot um, from, you know, a lot of kind of half or quarter opportunities. And that's where, you know, even though the stats tell you we should be winning this game, if one, if you give your opponent one extremely clear-cut chance, they take it. You have 50 chances, but only one of them are clear. Or 20 chances, but only one of them are clear-cut, and you don't take it. It's a bad recipe, and we need to fix that. And part of fixing that might be seeding the ball more. Part of fixing that might be just 
closing down gaps and being more compact in midfield. There's a lot of things you can do to change this that um, involve just using what you have better, because that's realistically all we can do until January anyway, right? You can cry for transfers as much as you want now. They can't come in until January. But there are fixes that need to be made that involve just using the resources at our disposal better. And we are going to have more resources because we are having players come back. Tiago being fit, Arthur actually being able to play now, are two midfielders we didn't have last week at this time. And that's important because both of them do things that none of the other players that we are midfielder that are midfielder do, which is you know, actually kind of playing the midfield. As much as I love Harvey Ed, Elliott and uh, Fabio Carvalho, neither one of them really look like a midfielder at the moment. Both of them look kind mm-hmm. of like attacking, you know, it, it, it maybe maybe like they look like tens, right? An attacking midfielder, but not one that you're going to rely upon for defensive output or, you know, solidity of shape. And the more we get of that, the better off we're going to be. And I think that, you know, there is an opportunity to turn the performances around. We just need to find what that reinvention is. And I don't think that it's a massive reinvention, right? It doesn't need to be like in a complete and total overhaul of the tactics. We just need to be playing something that looks like a coherent tactic that we can do. And that might be actually simplifying things. Maybe playing Trent as a more orthodox right back. Maybe getting Salah closer to whoever's playing center forward. These are all things that, sure, they might be a reinvention from how we've started the season, but they're things that we've done in the past that have worked to great effect. So maybe some of the reinvention is looking back at what you've, what you've done and perhaps is more of a rebirth than a reinvention. Yeah, let's hope the Reds can use this time and kind of figure their stuff out because, you know, I think, you know, maybe use this time to maybe get some sprints in, you know, because... Yeah, uh, it's it's not going great. But Justin, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Um, really appreciate your time, your insight, your education as well in terms of what you guys do. Um, really, really appreciate it. Uh, from my part, guys. Um, you know, if if you can't, you know, like if you can do anything, you know, just donate to your local food banks. You know. In the UK, they're at supermarkets. If you, you know, if you can't get to the game, just just donate to wherever and wherever you can. You know, it's massively, massively appreciated. Justin, is there anything you'd like to plug on your side, and where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so you can find me at Rolls on Shabbos. Um, you'll find it in the show notes for this particular podcast if you can't spell it out. Um, but you can also find me at L- at, at LFCNY. Um, the official supporters club of uh, New York. And I would really, I would really suggest if you are a red who's watching from afar, um, go find a local supporters club because it's really good to um, meet other people who want, who, who are watching and who are into this for, you know, the reasons of actually building communities and actually trying to commune with other people while watching matches. Uh, as much as, you know, the statement gets brought out that Liverpool football club exists to win trophies the real reason it exists is actually to create a community. And I think that that's something that we should all truly embrace and something that makes us, you know, special, right. Is, is mm-hmm. uh, yeah. not, not just, not just that we do this in a community, but the kinds of communities we build. So I would really um, urge people who are, you know, global supporters to go do that. And actually you know, there are official supporters clubs within the UK as well. And, you know, just just go find just go find the one that's closest to you because 
Um, I can't guarantee you anything, buddy, but you know, you might meet some, some new people who, uh, you'll end up appreciating. There you go, people. Um, uh, that was uh, Justin Wells. Um, thank you so much for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And um, yeah, that's me over and out. Till next time, take care. Up the Reds. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go... We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.